our Bibles out as the choir's coming down. Let's get our Bibles out and open to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. Um, I was thinking about this week, I was thinking if a person uh, was put, if you put your, a marker in your Bible uh, where we are on Sunday mornings, then you could have it, you could have had that marker there for couple of months now and it wouldn't have moved. We have been slowly going through this passage of scripture in Galatians 5 and Galatians 6. And so it's page 1341 on the pew Bible. If you sit in the same place and you put a little marker in the pew Bible and you can just keep opening up to that. But it's there's a reason why we have spent so much time talking about the fruit of the spirit and why it's so essential for us to understand what the fruit of the Spirit is and what God has called us to do as His children. How do we walk in the Spirit? These are conversations that must be had. We must go slowly. It's very, very important to me that we as a congregation are thoroughly informed and understand exactly that which the Scripture has to say here. And so that's why we have been walking through this nice and slowly. And today we'll uh, finish our discussion. We started last week about walking in the Spirit. Now we're going to talk about life in the Spirit. And how do we live in the Spirit as as a community of faith, as people that God has called to Himself? And how do, how does that change our lives? And what are the markers of that? What does it look like? What does it feel like? It's important for us to know that. And so I believe that the Nine messages that we did on each of the individual characteristics of Christ. And then these last couple of messages and this morning uh, put together, you would have a very concise and thorough um, explanation of what the gospel is and how it uh, changes us and manifests itself in our lives. So let's pray and ask God to help us as we continue to think about the gospel and life in the spirit. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you, Lord, for already the joyous time of worshiping you and praising your name. And Father God, now I pray that you will take this time and Father, you will put everything else out of our minds, Lord, and help us to just focus on you. You're about to speak directly to us through your word. And Father, that is a extraordinary reality. And so, God, we thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for its perfection. Thank you that it's meant for us and applicable to each and every person here today. And so, God, I pray that you will guard my lips. And, Father God, only speak through me that which you desire to be said. And, Lord God, that you'll give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. And we thank you in advance for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we will eventually get to Galatians 6, but we just need to work our way there. Um, the first thing that, that we'll sort of bring back to bear on this conversation is what the Bible says about the war that goes on inside of us. I think that if you, you cannot understand Christianity without understanding this principle of the, the flesh and the spirit within us and them being contrary to one another, this war that's described in Galatians 5.17 where the scripture says, for the, the flesh lusts against the spirit or desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. 
So much of what Christianity is is wrapped up in that passage of Scripture. Now, just knowing that there's a war inside is, is the first step, but then beginning to understand how to, what, what is that, what's the reality of that? How does that flush out of our lives? I mean, how does it make us, uh, you know, it, it explains this, this tension. Because we, we realize that when we, we, we come to faith in Christ when God saves us and He forgives our sin and He, he cleanses us of all unrighteousness and we get this brand new start and this, this clean slate. And it's so wonderful and so amazing, but it doesn't take long for things to start getting murky if we're not careful because we soon realize that we're not perfect and that a lot of things in our life still look a lot like they used to and, and, and they haven't completely changed. And, and so some areas we might see uh, a great change. Other areas we might only see a, a small, insignificant change. But it's, we, we start struggling again and we start feeling differently about our sin than we used to. In Christ, when we, when we sin, it's, it's, it's a new and different sort of feeling that we, we call it in Christianese, we call like conviction. But when you're first experiencing conviction, it's sort of different. And you're trying to sort it out. And so we don't know what to do. And so here's the mistake that, that usually sets us on the path to trouble. We early on, because we're not really sure how this war inside of us is working, we, we relegate ourselves to just trying to become great rule followers. If we can just follow the rules, somehow we feel like that's going to solve the problem. And, and it's very understandable to, to see how that happens because we, when you look around, you see other people around you and they appear to be following the rules. I mean, you don't walk up to people and say, listen, I'm kind of new to this whole Christianity thing. And, you know, it appears like you're really great at, at this rule following thing. So could you kind of help me maybe write down a couple rules each week and I'll start working? I mean, we don't have that silly conversation. We just sort of subconsciously look around us and it appears that the people around us are following rules well. And so we just sort of jump in step with them and we start doing the same thing. And then before you know it, we've sort of just conditioned ourselves to be good rule followers. The problem with that is, is that rule following is not relationship feeding. That God has called us to a relationship with Him. That it's far more than just following a bunch of rules. And that's the context of the book of Galatians. And it certainly is very, very important to what Paul, the Apostle Paul, is teaching us here in Galatians 5 and 6. And so, let's clarify a few things. Last week, I told you that the flesh... I don't want you to be confused about what the flesh is. The flesh is the you you were born with. The flesh is the you that you started this, this life with. It's the you that has been contaminated by sin. And so here's what Paul says about the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentious, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, all of which I tell you beforehand... 
just as I have told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen, what Paul is not saying is that if you've ever done one of these things, then you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Because if that were the case, then none of us would have a chance. What Paul is saying is that these are not the characteristics of a life that is in Christ. In other words, a person who is a Christian, a person who has the Spirit within them. You see, if you don't have the Spirit within you, there's no war. Therefore, you just yield to these things. These things would be the characteristics of your life. And therefore, you would be a person who would not inherit the kingdom of God. But if there's a war inside, it doesn't mean that sometimes you don't do the wrong things. It just means that sometimes you do the wrong things and sometimes you do the right things. That sometimes the, the, you walk in the spirit and sometimes you walk in the flesh. And so the flesh, because it's works, he says the works of the flesh are evident. It's the you that you were born with. And because it's, it's played out in our life in works, here's what happens. The flesh makes us insecure. You see, the only thing you can be in the flesh is insecure because the flesh is, is all about works. The flesh will, will con you into doing all sorts of things, but they're just the works of the flesh. And so there's never any, there's never any security in that. There's never any peace in that. You, there's never, you just go from one thing to the other. That's why all of those things listed as the works of the flesh, they're a never ending pit. Of destruction. In other words, when you, if you first walked in the flesh in, say, hatred, or in jealousy, or in envy, or drunkenness, it started small. It started with one, one moment in your life where you became bitter and you started yielding to hatred. But over time, you became a person whose heart was hard and you were consumed with your bitterness. So you started with, with one drink at one party and one instance in your life that led to two, three, four, five, six. It's a never ending pit. It's never just one thing in the flesh because there's no security. Because the flesh sells you a a fake bill of goods. It, it, It can't deliver what you want. And so in the flesh, all you can ever be is insecure. But then there's the spirit. And the spirit, we said, is the you that you received when you were born again. The spirit is the new you. It's the you that you receive in Christ. And so you're born again. And so the the flesh, the old you that you were born with, and the spirit, the new you that you were born again with, are contrary to each other. Now notice, Paul says about the, the works of the spirit, that the fruit of the spirit, not works, the fruit of the spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now you see the opposite from the flesh and that the the fruit of the spirit there's security in that there's there's you're secure in love and joy and peace and long suffering that they're not a a bottomless pit they don't suck you in and 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 sell you a bit of goods because a, a bill of goods because here's the thing what we've said over and over is it's it's not the fruits of the spirit it's just the fruit that all of these characteristics are all tied up in the fruit of the Spirit that you receive when you become a Christian. And so there's security in that. So the flesh makes us insecure and the Spirit brings security. And 
obviously, I guess the first and foremost uh, illustration of that is the fact that only a saved person can walk in the Spirit. That the Bible is utterly crystal clear that one of the defining markers of a person who's in Christ is that they have the Spirit. And apart from the Spirit, you're not a Christian. You're, you're not in Christ. Romans 8 verse 9 says, Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. I don't know how, how much clearer it could possibly be. But what we discovered last week in verse 25 of chapter 5 is that Paul says that it's possible to be saved but not walk in the Spirit. In other words, that just because you have the Spirit doesn't mean you walk in the Spirit. And this is what we have to make sure that we fully get our heads around and that we grasp and understand how this works because that is very important. So when he says... If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. What he's saying is those who have the Spirit, those who are in Christ, those who are saved, those who have been reborn, walk in the Spirit. It's not a guarantee. You don't just automatically walk in the Spirit. And so if we're going to be good at anything as a church, if, if there's anything that you in your heart this morning should desire to be Great at it ought to be walking in the Spirit. You ought to desire right now in your heart to say, God, I would, I would desire so deeply to be someone who, who walks in the Spirit. That if, if, that when, the reason why there's, there's the, all of the pain in my life and all of the, the, the areas of my life where I, where I struggle and I feel insecure, they're all because I've, Walked in the flesh. And so our lives would be radically different if we were great at walking in the Spirit. And so we need to understand how that plays out in our life and what does that look like. So the flesh, it's, it's insecure because it's works. It's very important for you to see this. It makes me, when I walk in the flesh, I look out for me. All of those things that are listed there in chapter 5 as the works of the flesh, they're all things that uh, are about me. It's looking out for me. It's, it's I'm trying to, in my insecurity, I'm trying to fill some void. I'm trying to look for something that I don't have. I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, compare myself to other people. It's all this me-centered stuff. But then in the Spirit, I find security. Security in the, in the love of who I am in Christ. And then I'm free to obey God. You see, I asked you the question last week. I said, well, what would be, how would you answer the question of what's the most practical way to grow in your relationship with Christ? I mean, if you, if you just were asked one simple question, what is the most practical way for you to grow in your relationship with Christ? What would your answer be? And we said that the correct answer would be obey, obedience. The, the, the greatest practical thing you can do to grow in your relationship with God is just obey Him. Because when you obey Him, you realize how wonderful He is. Because in obedience, you find out that, that that's how you learn that His way really is the best way and that He really will never leave you or forsake you. That all the wonderful truths and promises in the Bible, all the only way you'd ever know that they're true is if you obey them. That's how you find that out. And so if we want to do that, 
Well, then how do we become people who are obedient? I mean, I could stand up here all day and I could bash you over the head for all these things that you maybe aren't obeying and make you feel real bad. But would that really yield what we want to to, to yield? Is that going to make you walk in the Spirit, be more proficient at walking in the Spirit? I don't think so. I think it would be far more productive for me to talk to you about being obedient to God is based in security. Is that the more secure you are about who you are in Christ and who God is in you and how those two relate, the more secure you are in that relationship, the more obedient you're going to naturally be. It's just a natural flow. No one's got to scream at you or yell at you. You just have this desire to obey God because you have this closeness, this security in this relationship that you have. Let me illustrate it this way. I want you to think about the last time you got entangled in the works of the flesh. The last time that you walked in the flesh and things didn't go so well. Now, I wasn't there. I don't know what you did. Your spouse hasn't told me about that. I'm not talking about anybody in particular. I just know that everybody I'm looking at is guilty. And everybody you're looking at is guilty. So the last time that that happened, maybe it was, you know, this morning on the way to church. Maybe it was this morning when you couldn't find your other sock. Maybe it was this morning as, you know, you were trying to get all the kids in the car. Maybe it was this morning because the person in front of you was actually driving the speed limit on John Clark, which is the most maddening thing in the history of the world. I mean, when I do that is what I mean. I don't know what it was. I don't know where you were. I don't know what happened. But here's what I know about that situation. That when you did what you did, you knew it was wrong. You knew it was wrong before you did it. And when you walked in the flesh, you knew it was wrong after you did it. But you did it anyway. You didn't do something, and then suddenly go, that was wrong? That's not how that went down. You knew it was wrong. Now, you're a person who in general wants to do the right thing. I mean, your goal in life is not to be disobedient to God. You didn't wake up this morning or any morning and say to yourself, today I am going to throw my life away. I'm going to be as disobedient to God as I possibly can. You didn't do that. But yet, you knew that what you were doing was wrong and you did it anyway. Ten seconds before you did, you knew it was wrong. Why? What is it in us that, that gets us so off track? And then we feel so bad about what we've done. I mean, some of you, your greatest struggle is everything you've drug in here this morning. That you feel like that every time you come to church, there's this giant suitcase behind you with all of the 
the bad decisions that you've made and all the reminders of all the mistakes and everywhere you go, it's with you. And the only time you don't really feel like that suitcase is with you is when you're around a, a, a group of utter and complete strangers or if you're just around a bunch of people who walk in the flesh all the time, well, then it, it really doesn't matter because they've all got the same baggage. But you wish so bad that all that wasn't there. You wish so bad that you could take it back, but... You did it anyway. And you continue to. Why do we do this? Because we're insecure. We're not insecure in this worldly, psychological way that, you know, Dr. Phil would explain it. You're insecure spiritually. Why do people make foolish decisions with regard to sexual immorality? Why is, why is it so hard to be convinced in that area of our lives that God's way is the best way? Why is, why are so many young people finding themselves in compromised situations that for most of their life they were Absolutely convinced that they'd never be in, and now here they they here they are. It's not a lack of information. It's not a it's it's not a husband who started drifting with his eyes at work and having conversations with someone of the opposite sex that they shouldn't have. It's not like it's not like he he thought, oh, that's wrong, or oh, that's bad, or oh, that could lead to something wrong. No, well, why is it so hard to accept God's plan? As being best. It's because we're insecure. We're insecure about the young person is insecure about whether or not God's actually going to bring that person that they desire to be with into their life. In other words, the, the thing is, is that the insecurity is what drives the young person to say, well, if I don't do this, even though I know this is wrong, even though all of my life I've been taught this is what I shouldn't do, but I'm going to do this because if I don't do this, I'll be rejected by this group of people. That's insecurity. The, the, the person who's graduated from high school and sort of in the, the, the young adult years and all their friends are getting married around them. And they're still single. It becomes harder and harder with each passing day to remain committed to physical purity because you start doubting that God's going to come through. And the reason why we shuck everything, the reason why so many people will say, I know that this isn't a good thing. I know that this isn't a relationship I should be in, but... I'm afraid that if I lose this person, I won't get, this is my last chance. That's insecurity. The wife who is unfaithful to her husband. It's not like she doesn't know that that's a bad thing. It's not like somewhere in her heart when she was a little girl and she was dreaming about her wedding day and she was dreaming about Prince Charming sweeping her off her feet. And then in the midst of that dream, and she thought, yeah, and then after a few years of marriage, I'm going to have an affair on him. But what happened? She began to be insecure in her 
understanding and relationship with God. She began to doubt. She woke up in a marriage that was something she didn't think it was really ever going to be. And she began to doubt that God would fix it. She began to doubt that God would sustain her through it. That God, we, we begin to doubt that God's enough in our struggle. And so then we, in our insecurity, start working our way out into the flesh. You see, insecurity will lead to horrific consequences in our lives. That's where the flesh just goes wild. Why? Why do so many people struggle with addiction? Why? It's because at some level in their life, they're insecure. Either they wanted the acceptance of others that drove them to experiment for the first time that's now led them into addiction, or they're trying to escape the reality of the circumstances that they're in. Again, it's insecurity that God's not sufficient to see them through, that God's not sufficient to or doesn't love you enough or care enough to change the circumstances or whatever the case may be. So therefore, I'm going to hide from the pain. I'm going to run from reality and addiction. Why do people gossip? Because they're insecure. Why do people lie? Because they're insecure. Why do people steal? Because they're insecure. They, they don't think that God's going to provide for them. They don't think that if they don't take matters into their own hands, they won't get the things that they need. So they justify their actions and they steal. No one is stealing and, and not sure that that's wrong. But people who live in the Spirit... Steal and lie and cheat and are addicted. And you don't think this is an important conversation? What more important conversation could we have this morning than me saying to you, how can I help you be, be obedient to God? Through the security of your relationship with him. So that all of these temptations, all of these sins, all of these struggles, all of these works of the flesh will. Will not have the power and authority in your life that they have right now. You see, when the Apostle Paul here in Galatians, when he paints a picture for us of what it practically looks like to walk in the spirit. These next verses that we're going to see in Galatians 6, you need to understand he's painting a picture of a person who's not perfect. He says himself he's not perfect, that he does the things he doesn't want to do and the things he does are the things he doesn't want to do. He says that, but what is he saying? He's not saying that he's perfect. What he's saying is, is that he's secure. He's saying that these are the characteristics of a person who is secure in their relationship with God. And if you are living in a legalistic, uh, religious environment where you think that you're uh, standing before God and your, your, your relationship with God is based on your works or your ability to follow rules, this is why the flesh is running rampant in you. Because you're not free to obey and because you're insecure. Secure people obey God. So let's take this apart and see how this works. If you know this morning that, for example, God loves you. No, no, I don't just mean that because I said that. I mean, if you, if, if you would say, Pastor, that, 
if there's anything in this world that I know, my life right now is, is filled with, with struggles in a million different directions. I've got people that I love that are, that are wayward and, and, and it breaks my heart. I've got financial struggles. I've got difficulties at work. Uh, my, my relationships, maybe my marriage every day is, is a challenge and a struggle. I mean, we've just got a lot of things going on in our life. And right now, this morning, I'm just telling you that I feel like I'm getting bombarded from every side. But in the midst of all that, if there's one thing I know, it's that God loves me. I know that. It's a game changer. I mean, if you know deep in the recesses of your heart that you are loved by God, that you this morning can look at all of the circumstances in your life and regardless of whose fault they're there, whether something was perpetrated against you or you were the perpetrator that caused it, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. The question I'm driving at is, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that you're His son or His daughter? Do you know that He has adopted you into His family? That He has grafted you irremovably into his family by the spirit of adoption. And you're there. You belong there. You can't be taken away. That the Bible says that you're in the palm of his hand and nothing can take you out of it. John chapter 10. You see, then when that's true, regardless of the mess that's going on around you. Here's the first step. To security. God loves me. I'm his child. Everything he says in his word applies to me because I belong to him. And yeah, my life might be a disaster, but here's what my security in him frees me of. I no longer care what you think. I'm not driven by your opinion of me. I'm not driven by your assessment of my condition. I'm not driven by that. I'm free from that because the most important person in the world loves me and he's accepted me just as I am. I'm fully known and fully accepted. And so if you choose to reject that, which you know about me, that's not what I want. That's certainly not the best case scenario, but it's it's not going to change me. I'm not going to drop. My relationship with God. In other words, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna set my obedience down over here. You see? I'm not gonna, young person, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna set my purity down over here and then run this direction because I care more about what this person thinks about me than what God does. When I'm secure in who I am with Christ, then when someone says, well, you know, then, then all of a sudden all this pressure to, to conform to the ways of the world begins to go down. I mean, it's still there. The world doesn't give up, but it's, it's greatly reduced. You're free to, you're free to obey God because you're not wrapped up in what everyone else thinks. You see, if I don't make decisions based on other people's acceptance, I'm free because I'm already accepted by the one who matters the most. You see, it frees me from all that insecurity that's trying to lure me to do things that I ought not be doing. And so when we talked about how, how what, what are the what are the characteristics? What is it? You know, I, get, I was just super practical with you last week. 
I mean, I wanted you to walk out of here and just know one, two, three. Here's just one, two, three things I can do. You're facing a situation in your life. You don't know what to do. You want to walk in the Spirit. I said, number one, you just discover God's viewpoint on the subject. You find out what God has to say on that subject. That's the first step. Once you find out what God has to say, you don't have to overcomplicate it. I don't even think you have to find out everything God has to say on the subject. You just find out what God has to say on that subject. Just let God speak to you on that subject. And then number two, you just decide to respond to Christ, uh, like Christ to that decision, to that viewpoint. In other words, you do what Christ would do, armed with the same information that you have. Here's what God has to say about this subject, whatever it is, lying, stealing, cheating, drinking, peer pressure, honesty, whatever, whatever it is. What does God say about it? And then respond like Christ would to that. In other words, we know what Christ would do. He's going to obey the Father. He's going to do what the Father desires for him to do and then call on the Holy Spirit, number three, to empower the decision based on the discovery. And those three steps will just lead you in the the path of the Spirit, just in a very simple way. But now we're going to sort of go to walking in the Spirit 2.0. This is life in the Spirit. This isn't just, this is just where it starts to flow out among us when we've, we sort of use these three steps to, to build this uh, consistency in our life where we're starting to obey God and walk with Him. Well, then what does that look like over time? That's what Paul's getting to here in Galatians 6. So now you look down at Galatians 6. Because if we just dove in here and started reading this this morning, it would have been a, uh, a fiasco. Your minds would have gone all over the place. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. And we'll just stop there. Now, why does Paul say these things to sort of bring emphasis to everything that he said about this war between the spirit and the flesh and how we walk in the spirit? Well, we want to respond like Christ. If we, if, if the fruit of the spirit is the characteristics of Christ, if that's going to come out of us, then what we want to do is we want to we want to we want to know well well how did Christ respond? How did Christ, what was what was the preeminent sort of driving passion of Jesus's life while he was on earth? I mean that would be a good place to start if we want to be like him. Well let's find out. I mean what were the I mean he might have done this or done that and we could sort of you know think about doing this or doing that but but what is the what was the main emphasis of his life? Well I would say a good place to start would be Philippians chapter 2, where here's what the the Bible says about Christ in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ. In other words, the Spirit. Let Christ's Spirit be in you. Verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Hmm. Meaning, he didn't care what anybody thought. He made himself of no reputation. He was so secure in his relationship with his father that he would leave heaven and, and 
humiliate himself in becoming a man, much less living the, the, dying the horrific death that he died. So you see, he was made himself of no reputation because he was free from trying to live up to other people's expectations, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Look at verse eight. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became, what's the word? Obedient. You see what happens? Security in his relationship with the Father led to obedience that led to you and I having the opportunity to receive salvation. You see, if he wasn't secure, he, he wouldn't have made himself of no reputation. It's that security that drove him to obey even to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Don't you see how that works out? Jesus says in John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. The very next verse in that passage says, and you are my friends, he says. He says, I laid my life down for you. This act of obedience, this act of sacrifice, how could you do this? Because he made himself of no reputation, because he was secure in his relationship with the father. And he was free to obey God. And in the freedom to obey God, look at the, the glorious, amazing things that God accomplishes when we're free to obey Him. So now let's go to what Paul's saying. Look at verse 1 in Galatians 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken by a trespass, first of all, when the, whenever a verse starts with brethren, it's specifically talking to a group of people, not just anyone. So it's, it's talking to brothers, brothers and sisters. It's talking to the people of God, the household of faith. He's talking to us. He's saying, you... If a man or a woman is overtaken in a trespass. Now, what does that mean? That word overtaken, it means to be entangled or to be ensnared. It's in the passive voice. The reason it's in the passive voice is because it's it's alerting us to the reality that the person who's entangled, who's overtaken, is surprised by the fact that they're overtaken. That they didn't, you know, they didn't wake up and, and draw out this long, drawn-out, six-month plan to become overtaken by a sin. They're going along, doing life, and suddenly, maybe they weren't paying close attention, all of a sudden they found themselves ensnared in a trespass, caught up in the works of the flesh, in a place where they didn't really expect themselves to be. I think the best way to think about this is a fish caught in a net. You know, I've never seen a fish caught in a net, and I thought, what a dumb fish. Now, I mean, they are dumb. Let's face it, they're dumb. But they're swimming along. They're not thinking about nets. They're thinking about swimming and thinking about doing the things that fish do. And suddenly they're stuck in a net, and then they realize, "Uh uh-oh. Well, by that point, it's too late. Well, we, we always think, well, what a smart fisherman. We don't think what a dumb fish. Well, that's important to understand because the idea here is that we see our brother, our sister caught in this overtaken, caught in this net. And, and how do we respond to them? So you have to understand that this isn't, this isn't you walking out of here and deciding that you're the purity police or the goodness guardians or the decency detectives or the morality monitors. That's not your job. 
You, you, the, the idea here is not for you to start patrolling around all the brothers and sisters and trying to take it upon yourself to find out who's overtaken. No, 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 no. That's not what it is. This is your response to your brother or sister who has found themselves caught. They're ensnared in a trespass. And now they're starting to realize probably the, the gravity of the circumstance that they're in. And you, when you see that, you then respond. Now notice what he says next. He says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Again, it's very important. You, you gotta know what, what overtaken means. You gotta know what you who are spiritual. If you just were reading this, you might think to yourself, well, here's what this verse is teaching. It's teaching that if you, if, 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 if I as the moral police find someone who's not following the rules correctly, then since I'm so super spiritual, I'm the one, according to Galatians 6.1, that ought to be the person who ought to set you straight. Wrong. The word spiritual doesn't mean that you're, you know, that you're uh, on the A team. It doesn't mean that you're, uh, you know, Captain Bible memory, it means that you're walking in the spirit. You're spiritual. You're a Christian and you're walking in the spirit. So you're walking in the spirit. You're obeying God. And as you're doing that, you notice a brother or sister who's overtaken in a sin. You begin the process of restoring that person. You see, because... When somebody is secure, when they're secure, they can obey. And when they obey and they're walking in the spirit, they're not focused on themselves. They're focused on other people. And so they see those around them who are in need and then they're available to help them. Because the fruit of the spirit is not for them. Because fruit, we said last week, doesn't eat fruit. Trees don't eat fruit. Fruit is for other people. So the fruit of the Spirit in your life is not for you. It's for other people. Well, what other people? Your brothers or sisters who are overtaken in a trespass. So if you're out patrolling around, you know, with one of those big magnifying glass and your big giant legalistic eyeball looking out of it, trying to find out who's doing what they ought not be doing, you're, out, you're in the wrong job. You haven't been cleared for that task. That's for people who are spiritual. That's for people who are walking in the Spirit. Now, how do we do this? It says, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Oh, well, now there we go. Now, see, you, the, we know automatically it's walking in the Spirit because that's one of the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. Remember what we said about gentleness? Gentleness is strength under control. It's not weakness. Gentleness is the determination to do what needs to be done, but in a caring, sensitive way. But it's you're unyielding in doing what needs to be done. You see... The best way to the, the word here that, that Paul uses here, this restore such a one. It's a it's a word that's used to describe setting a broken bone. That's a perfect way for you to understand it. Your leg is broken and it's hurting. Your arm is out of socket and it's killing you. And suddenly you're laying there in the doctor's office and the doctor comes in. And unless you're four, you don't start screaming like a little baby 
Because you know the doctor's there to help you, but you also know you're going to have to go through pain to get help, but you've got to get this back into socket. You've got to get this bone set right. So the doctor's going to come in, he's going to say, now this is going to hurt a little bit, and he's going to put a firm grip on your broken leg. And you're going to wince up and maybe bite something or, you know, pull your spouse's hair or something like that. And then you're going to grit your teeth. And then the doc, now what kind of doctor's going to go, does that hurt? And you go, yeah, that hurts. And you go, well, okay, we can just let it heal like that. No, you don't want that kind of doctor. You want a doctor that's going to say, I know this is going to hurt. I'm sorry. I'm going to do the best I can to make it hurt the least possible amount. But we've got to do this. And then he sets it. That's what gentleness is. It's power under control. It's the unyielding commitment to do what's right, but in the least painful way. But you see, it's not gentleness if you just disregard the the call. If you don't, if you don't follow through, if you leave somebody there with their arm out of joint, you, you haven't been, you haven't restored them. So we restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now, one thing I need to add to this, what this is not, is this is the, the, the check inside of you to know whether or not you are even approaching a situation in the right way or not, is if you in any way, shape, or form rejoice in the failures of those around you, then rest assured you are utterly and completely consumed with the flesh. Now, I know that when I say that publicly, all of you are like, well, I don't know who would do that, but you all do it. And I do too. And you know, sometimes when, when, when somebody does something and then it blows up in their face and we just want to say, well, shouldn't they have known better than that? I mean, of course that was going to blow up in your face. What idiot doesn't know that that's not going to work for you? You see, now we're back to going, what dumb fish swims into a net? You see, we're not walking in a spirit. We're not walking in a spirit of uh, a, a spirit of restoration. And you see, he says, you don't do this. You don't you don't go to somebody and begin the process of gentle restoration until you've checked your heart motives first. Because he says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You see, the the fish that's swimming along out of the net that sees another fish stuck in the net should not say to themselves, well, look at that idiot. How could you not see that? The right response would be for that fish to say, you know, you've got to be paying attention all the time because those nets are popping up. Every time I turn around, there's a net somewhere. And I almost got caught in a net yesterday. And I'm going to do anything I can do to help you get out of this net because I know, but for the grace of God, tomorrow I'll be in the same net. You see, that's the right response to have. Suddenly, I feel like we're talking about finding Nemo. (laughs) Just thought I'd throw that out there in case you were getting sleepy. So what do you do? See, here's here's what I think that I think that there's there's two sides to this coin. And I think they're both they're both utterly important and critical. But I think that and they're both probably equally as challenging to succeed in. But one of them is 
one of them is just going to cause far more chaos in the flesh than the other. Here's what I mean. Is that I don't think you push away from the reality that God's called you as his child to focus your lives on other people in such a way that you're available to restore those around you as you walk in the spirit and the spirit of gentleness. I don't think you're pushing away from that. Here's what you're pushing away from. You just don't want to be the person that somebody comes to. We don't want to be the person that somebody comes to and says, you know, I'm concerned about you. I see these areas of your life that, I mean, I'm by no means perfect. And and I'm certainly not saying that all of this is 100% accurate. You help me if I'm wrong, but I'm concerned about you. And I feel like you're headed for trouble. I love you as your brother in Christ. Maybe we could spend some time and we could, you know, I could encourage you. We could look at what God has to say about this issue. And maybe together I could walk with you through this process. You see, that sounds wonderful when we're the person walking with somebody. But boy, we don't like it when we think about somebody coming to us. Because, see, we've been overtaken. We've been sort of surprised by this situation we're in. And the first response to that is to hide it. We're going to hide it. We don't want anybody to know we're in a net. So we just start wiggling around like we're swimming along, even though we're stuck in a net. We're dragging this net along with us somewhere. And we think everything's just fine. Because we don't want anybody to, to, to realize that we're not doing great. And then when somebody comes to us and they have the, the, the courage to be honest with us and to talk to us about the reality of what they see in our life, then here's what we, we want to deny it. We want to deflect it. And then we want to retaliate. See, the first thing we want to do is say, well, that's not true. You're wrong. And, and the first mode of defense is just to convince them that, that, that what they think is wrong or it's not as bad as they think it is or whatever the case may be. And then as soon as they walk away, we instantly go into retaliation mode. Well, who do they think they are? And then we get out our big magnifying glass and our giant legalism eyeball and we start looking at their life and going, well, let me just find out what's not perfect about your life. Now, you don't act like you don't do this. You know you do. I do it. You do it. We all do it. And so we don't want to hear the, the truth. If it's not truth, we, 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 that makes us feel good because we're insecure because now we're in the flesh and the flesh makes us insecure. And then somebody comes up to us and really exposes our insecurity. And so what we want to do is attack them. We want to just pick their life apart. Paul didn't say, you who are sinless restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, did he? He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He just said, you who are spiritual. You know, you're, you're walking in the spirit, you're paying attention to the people around you and you realize that one of your brothers and sisters is struggling and you just come up alongside them and hopefully they'll receive that. Hopefully they won't deflect that or deny that and then retaliate against you and try to build a case against you. You know, this is how you know if you're, if you're a person who's bent to retaliate. The most common way that I see people retaliate is that once somebody, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say this, that, that once I come to somebody and, 
have a hard conversation with them. You think I like doing that? No. You think that's easy? The easy thing for me to do is just ignore it. But you know, you come and you sit down and you have an honest conversation with somebody about the reality of what is going on in their life. And then the person turns around and begins finding other people that will agree with their position. What you want to do is is ally yourself to anybody else who may be against that person. There's one thing that's always true about being in ministry. Everybody who doesn't like me are friends. They all like each other. They're galvanized together with their disgust for me. And that's what bonds them together. And when, when somebody's aggravated with you, they bond together with the people that don't like you. And they start building this team of people. Well, let me tell you what he said about me. Well, let me tell you what he said about me. Well, let me tell you what she did. Let me tell you what they did. Let me tell you why I'm not going to this person's Sunday school class or that person, this or that. But then Paul sort of shifts gears on us. He says, no, it'll be okay. Because remember, you can do this. And why? Because you're secure. That's why if you, this is why you cannot approach anybody in honesty and love about their life if you're not secure. If you're not secure in Christ, you'll just be a coward. You'll keep your mouth shut. You won't say anything. Or if they begin to react negatively, you'll just retract all your words and try to get them to forget it ever happened. Because really what you care most about is what they think about you instead of what's what's best for them according to God. And so Paul shifts gears and he said, look at verse 2. Now he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is a huge statement. He says that we're to bear each other's burdens and in doing so we're going to fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what do you mean fulfill the law? The whole law of Christ? Yes, the whole law of Christ. Just like we sang this morning. Jesus, well, what is the most important commandments in the law? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says in Romans chapter 13, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That we bear each other's burdens, and in doing that, while we're loving each other, caring for each other, we're fulfilling the law. But you see, here's the the challenge. In order to bear somebody's burden, you have to get close to them. You see, I can't bear your burden from a distance. I won't know anything that's going on in your life from a distance. So here's what happens. The same th- way it happens in my life, it happens in your life. Maybe somebody comes to you and maybe they, they bring to your attention that they're struggling. Maybe that happens. Usually it's the other way around, that God puts you in a situation where you get to know somebody. And you get to know this person. Maybe you've went to church with them for a long time, but suddenly you're getting to know them. You're building a relationship with them. And in that relationship, God has a redemptive purpose in that relationship. It wasn't just a coincidence that you happened to sit at the table with that person or get to know that person or whatever the case may be. But God has a purpose in all that. And so you get close to that person. 
And when you get close to somebody, now you're in a position to bear their burden. See, you have to you have to walk right up next to them to help them to slide some of the weight of their burden onto you. You can't you can't bear a burden from a far distance. It doesn't work like that. It takes close physical proximity. Which is, again, a reason why sometimes people come to church for long periods of time. But they just slip in, slip out, slip in, slip out, slip in, slip out. They never build any relationships in that church body. Why? Because they don't want to get tangled up in bearing people's burdens. It's too messy. It's too hard. It's too complicated. See, some burdens, you bear them in one conversation. Sometimes I sit down and have a conversation with somebody. I bear that burden with them. I cry with them. I pray with them. And then they're good. Sometimes it's months. Sometimes it's years. Some burdens go on and on and on. And you see, a lot of times in our busy, self-centered, insecure culture, we don't have time for those kind of burdens. So we reject that kind of stuff. And so it's strange that as, as people finish starting point and then I assist them in finding a Sunday school class, it's always interesting to me to hear the, the, the things that, that they're looking for in a Sunday school class. Some people are, are purposely and distinctly looking for the biggest Sunday school class they can find so they can just blend into the crowd. And then some people will say, I, I don't want to blend in the crowd. I want to find a group of people that I can connect with, that I'm like-minded with, that I can, I can get close to. That's the only way to bear burdens. Well, why would you do this? I mean, what, what motivation would any of us in this room have to bearing each other's burdens? Because somebody did it for us. Somebody bore our burdens. Somebody had to get close to you to bear your burden. Isn't that what the Bible says? In John chapter 1, doesn't it say that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? But see, He didn't bear your burden from heaven. He left heaven and came close to you so that He could then experience the things you experience. He could walk on the earth you walked on. He could face the trials and the temptations and the struggles of this earth and this life. He could then bear our burden. He did that which we couldn't do for ourselves, and that's what we're to do to one another. Did He really bear all our burdens? Is that what the Bible says? Well, what about the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53 where the Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray? We've all turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, he took the full brunt of our burden. He got close to us. He came to us and he took our burden. And the good news is, is that we don't need to feel insecure about that. We don't need to be looking around comparing ourselves to other people because we've all, like sheep, gone astray. Each one, every single one of us has gone his own way. But God came close and He took the burden off our back to free us from insecurity so that we could do that for one another. So that we, as spiritual people, could restore such a one, a spirit of gentleness, could 
bear each other's burdens. And look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Now, if you're, if you're not careful, you'd, you'd look at those two verses and say, is that, are they contradicting each other? No. Just look closely at what Paul says. You don't want to think that you're something because you're not something. You're nothing. You don't want to puff yourself up with pride and then start running around in insecurity trying to prove to everybody that you're the person that you you want them to think that you are because you're really nothing. And if you'll just relinquish all that and just just receive the goodness of God and just be the person that you are in Him, then you'll be free to rather than be looking around, you can rejoice over the work that God's doing in your own life. That's what he's saying in verse 4. That security in Jesus Christ will cause you to rejoice in what God is doing inside of you. That with, with every step of obedience, it will bring reward and rejoicing in the fact that God really is the good and gracious God that He says that He is. And then we're free to look after other people around us. And then in verse 5, Paul says, For each one shall bear his own load. Now understand, he didn't say each one bear his own burden. He said load. So a load's not a burden and a burden's not a load. So what, what do you mean each one bears his own load? You see, each one of us come into this relationship with Christ with our own load. Loaded down with our own things. We're all different. We all grew up in different families. We all face different struggles. We've all been abused or defeated in different ways. We've all faced all sorts of different things. But we all come into this relationship with God in the same way. And we're loved by God the same way. But we come in with a different load. And so I don't carry your load and you don't carry my load. And so that's why we we can't be judgmental about each other because we don't have the same load. You see, some people come after facing such difficulty and such struggle that their load is so overwhelming and they come to Christ and so they're walking along and then somebody else maybe who's been carrying their load for quite some time, they look at them and think, well, you sure are immature, but what you don't know is where they came from to where they are now. They've actually went further in sanctification than you have, sir or ma'am. See, their load is different from your load. But you see, you wouldn't know that unless you get close to somebody. See, every opportunity I get to put my hand on your shoulder, to look into your eyes, to ask you how you're doing, to hear you tell me your story. I want to know who you are. I want to know your story. I want to know what your load is so I can cheer you on. And I want you to know that I know what your load is because I don't want you to be comparing yourself to other people because your load is your own load. And I want to be the one right there with your brothers and sisters cheering you on as you're carrying it. Each of us, we're equally loved by God, but we have different opportunities. We have different flaws, different weaknesses, different spiritual gifts and different challenges. So we all come in the same way, but we're all starting at a different place, aren't we? Yeah. So how does all this fit together this morning? Well, there's probably a thousand ways that I could say to you, church family, you are so wonderful. So wonderful at walking in the Spirit. 
and loving each other the way Paul has laid out in these first five verses of Galatians 6. That I so oftentimes marvel at the way that God uses you in each other's lives. But what's so beautiful to know this morning is that the agent in all the things that we've talked about are people. That God uses people to bear our burden, to restore us in the spirit of gentleness, to remind us that we ought not compare ourselves to other people, that we have a different load. You know, it was almost a year ago today. It was, it was November last year. For about three weeks, I had been walking around with this burden on my heart. This, I know the feeling of when a sermon is coming, but it's just not there. And so I was chewing on this issue in my head and trying to wrestle around what God wanted me to do with it and how I was going to express it. And I'd never heard a sermon preached on it and I'd never taught a Bible study on it. I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to be weird about it. I didn't want to make a spectacle of anybody. But I just knew that there were people in our fellowship that I I had just prayed and prayed and wept and cried over because they were battling infertility. And I knew that God had encouragement for them, but I just didn't know how to express it. And so after about three weeks, on a Sunday night last year, I preached a sermon called Feeling Forgotten. And I talked about the difficulty of infertility and what the Scripture has to say about it. And I talked about how we as the body of Christ should respond to those who struggle with this, that if we're not careful, people with kids just totally discount the, the, the pain that we never faced or imagined of someone who, who can't have a child. So when I got done preaching that sermon... Uh, the next day, a brother in the church called me. And he said, uh, Pastor, um, listen, you know that uh, sermon that you preached Sunday night? And I said, yeah. And at the end of the service, I, I just had anybody who's struggling with infertility or been affected by infertility or had a miscarriage or whatever to come forward and that we were going to gather around and pray for him. And he said, there was a young couple there that we were praying for and I don't know their names. I don't know who they are. I said, well, what they look like? And he told me and I said, okay, I know who they are. And he said, what's the situation? I said, well, they've been trying and trying and trying to have a child for a long time. They've had a couple miscarriages and, you know, it doesn't appear that she's able to carry a child and, he said, well, I know this is going to sound weird, but we sort of went through the same thing, a little bit different, but it was something similar to this. But the point of the conversation is we've got some leftover fertility medicine. And I'm like, well, this is just awkward. <laughs> I mean, what am I supposed to do with this? And he's like, well, this stuff is like thousands of dollars. And, you know, 
we bought six vials of it and we only needed two. And so we've got four of it and we bought it and we have it and maybe they can use it. I'm thinking, I don't think it works like that. <laughs> like here, go home and just, you know, I, I mean, so I said, well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And I hung up the phone and I, I walked in and sat down next to Lisa and I said, honey, I, I, I need your help. And she said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know what to do with this situation because it's a touchy situation. I can't just go to this young couple whose heart is so tender and this is so difficult for them. And I don't want to bring up something that's going to cause more pain. But at the same time, I don't want to miss an opportunity that God may be in. I don't know what to do with this. And I said, well, how do I, how do I figure this out? And she said, well, Tony, has this ever happened to you before? And I said, no, no one's ever called me and said I got vials of medicine. And she said, well, then let's just trust God and see what happens. So I picked up the phone and I called the young lady and I said, listen, I don't know what your plan is. I don't know what your next step is. I'm just throwing this out to you. But somebody in our church has got this stuff and... This is what it is, and maybe, you know, it will work for you. And she says, well, okay. And I said, here's their number. You call her, and if you want to do this, then you do this. And then I hung up the phone. So a few weeks pass, and I get a phone call, and it's, this young lady, and she's so excited, and she says, guess what? I said, what? She said, today me and my husband drove to the fertility clinic. And I said, amen. And, and what did the doctor say? And, and we met with the doctor, and the doctor told us the procedure and everything that was going to happen. And, and she said, well, what, what's the medicine that I'm going to take? And he said, well, here's the medicine you're going to take, and it's very expensive, and it's this much of uh, a vial. And she said, well, I've already got several vials of that medicine. He said, you do? And she said, yeah. And he said, well, awesome, because it it's good for like, you know, a long time. And so it's brand new and it's perfect and we'll use that. So yesterday morning, Addie and Abigail were born. Those two little precious girls, two pounds, I think I have a picture of them, two pounds, 12 ounces, two pounds, six ounces. And here's the thing. God did what only God could do, but he used the person to bear somebody else's burden to just come beside him and say, I think I can help you. I want to be a blessing to you. And I just, I just sat there and I looked at those two babies and I thought about all the tears that I cried. I thought about all the times I begged God. I said, God, please, please let Sarah get pregnant. Please help her, Lord. All she's ever wanted to do is be somebody's mom. And nothing, nothing, nothing. 
but in the fullness of time in His perfect plan in a way that only He could do. You who are spiritual come beside and say, let me bear some of this burden. Let me be a blessing to you. Let's see what God will do. That's what this is all about. That's why walking in the Spirit is so important. Because I don't want to be a part of a place that's not filled with people walking in the Spirit. Because that's not what God's called us to. And we need to be so thankful for what we have. And we need to be so grateful for the way that we're able to love each other and care for each other and encourage each other. And we want to have difficult conversations when they need to be had. But we want to be gentle in them. And we want to be willing to walk beside each other no matter how long it takes to get to the other side. Because that's what this is all about. It's about a group of people that go, oh yeah, there's, my load is a crazy load. You have no idea the things that I've been through in my life. But if I know anything, I know this morning that God loves me, that I'm secure in Him, and that no matter what happens, nothing can take me out of the palm of His hand. And so now I'm not worried about what other people think, and I'm free to obey God and to allow the fruit of my life to be a blessing to the people around me. So this morning, Can you say beyond a shadow of a doubt that if there's anything in this world that you know, it's that God loves you. And if you can rejoice in that and be free in the security that you find in Christ to obey him and to see him do miraculous things around you. And if you're not, if you can't say that, if you doubt, if you're struggling, if you're, if you're uncertain, then that is the preeminent issue in your life that needs to be dealt with above all other things. Stop trying to fix your marriage. Stop trying to change your habits. Stop trying to work your way into another uh, job. Stop all, forget all of that and focus on the most important thing in this world is, am I secure in my relationship with Jesus Christ? If you're here this morning and you have been walking in rule following, throw it down and run to relationship because it's the only place that freedom can be found. Let's stand and bow our heads.